0: Uh, Lord of hosts, um, you never fail. Indeed, there is no other like you. You are the king of creation. You are great and you do great things. And so here we are. We cast ourselves upon you for there is no other place upon which we would rather fall. We understand ourselves to be needy creatures, dependent upon your sovereign hand, By the gracious work of your Spirit, you have opened our minds, our hearts, our wills, our affections so that we might be open and ready to receive from you. And so we pray that you would enable us to take what you give and to give it back into your service for your glory. Would you use our tithes and offerings to continue the work of declaring the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? We pray for the young men and women the leaders that will go with them as they travel abroad to do your work in the coming weeks, would you be with them? Show yourself faithful to them, stretch them and convict them, empower them, strengthen them, protect them. We pray for their parents, and their loved ones here that'll be here and waiting and wondering and praying for them as they go. Would you deepen their faith and trust in you? And ultimately pray that you would be honored among these students and that your word would advance in the Dominican as a result of this trip. And Father, now in this part of our service of worship, as we come to your word, we open your word to be read and to be preached, would you give us ears to hear, faith to believe the wonderful truth of your gospel. Teach and inspire us that we might respond rightly to your word. And this we pray, to your glory, in the name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, um, no one's leaving the service, so we'll forget that. We'll do that during second service. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I guess I could invite the musicians to leave. Um, but that seems awkward. First uh, Samuel chapter 1, we'll read chapter 1 and also the first 10 verses of chapter 2. I know it's a bit long, but I think it's good for us and it will be helpful. Um, and we know that the Lord works powerfully uh, in his word. Um, as you're opening there, in this opening chapter of Samuel, we meet this remarkable woman of faith, Hannah. And we get the backstory of Samuel's birth. And and keep in mind that while she is uh, certainly a wonderful example for us, uh, ultimately what these opening chapters uh, are about is the Lord of Hosts, our great God and our great, great King. So with that, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathayim Zafim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from this city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Afni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her Grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your son a servant, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli had answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah prayed and said, my heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. "'But she who has many children is forlorn. "'The Lord kills and brings to life. "'He brings down to Sheol and raises up. "'The Lord makes poor and makes rich. "'He brings low and he exalts. "'He raises up the poor from the dust. "'He lifts the needy from the ash heap "'to make them sit with princes "'and inherit a seat of honor. "'For the pillar of the earth are the Lord's, "'and on them he has set the world. "'He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, "'but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness.' For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And thus far in the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This past week or so, um, my family had the opportunity to travel to Orlando for me to participate in uh, the commencement ceremony for my Master of Divinity degree. I started this, uh, the program at, at RTS in 2012. So if you do the math, our children were ages three and six. And every time I would travel to Orlando, they always wanted to come along with me because they wanted to do what? They wanted to go to Disney World. And so I made a promise pretty early that uh, I would, in fact, take them with me when we went. The, the problem is, is none of us realized that it would take me eight years. And so when we finally uh, took them um, this year, they are 12 and almost 15, and so they weren't too interested in Disney World. Uh, but we did go to Universal Studios, and um, we had a great time, and well, there was this moment that I just, it keeps rolling around in my mind uh, from this last week. Uh, my, my daughter and I actually observed it. We were waiting in line uh, for a roller coaster. We had gotten up to the front of this line finally. And, and what's inter- what was, what was uh, important for this moment was that this roller coaster had a safety mechanism um, that really had to come down and latch in a certain way in order for you to ride. And so if it wouldn't come down all the way, they would pull you off of it um, and then explain to you that you had waited an hour for no reason. Um, well, here we are at the front, and there's this couple, this young couple right in front of us. Um, and they, they pulled them off, and, uh, and, and I watched as this employee had to explain Um, to this young woman, obviously it still touches me, um, why she wasn't able to ride. Um, And I watched her. I mean, she's standing right in front of me. Uh, Tears began to well up in her eyes. Uh, The tears began to run down her cheeks. Um, And I just felt a lot of sadness with her. And I began to wonder, um, what lies were rolling around in her mind, what shame she might have been experiencing, what, what fears were on her heart. And, and I started to tear up as well, still do with her. It makes me hate sin. It makes me hate the misery of the world that we live in, this fallen world. I mean, here she is. She just wanted to ride and laugh and, and have a story to share with the man that she loved. Um, and instead, she had these tears. This precious woman. It didn't make sense to me. And in this last week, I keep thinking about her, and I realize that in many ways, she's me. In many ways, in, in some sense, she's all of us. I mean, really, don't we just want to ride out our day, laugh, and have a story to share with those that we love? And yet, we're confronted with the full weight of sin and the misery of this world. We know what it is to experience deep deep pain, and, and, and the cause of this pain is different for us. There are different difficulties that we face, different kinds of grief, different things that cause us shame and guilt, different fears, but we all know it. We all experience it. We all know what it means to live with the visceral realities of a fallen world. And as we are introduced to Hannah, we find a woman living in this profound Pain she's married to this man Elkanah but they cannot have children and likely because of her barrenness Elkanah took a second wife Peninnah in order to secure an heir for himself think about the pain of that for a moment and to make matters worse, Pinanah sets herself up as Hannah's rival. She would provoke her. She grieved her. She mocked her for her inability to not be able to have children. Year after year, she did this. It seems that Pinanah delighted in stirring up the visceral pain and desolation in, that Hannah felt in her barrenness, deep pain, to the point that she would not eat And she was overcome with grief, and she wept bitterly. And her husband, he tries to help, but like many guys, he's less helpful than he thinks he is. Uh, Basically, he says to you, look, I don't know why you're crying. You have me. Uh, Not realizing that really what she had was half of him. He's certainly not her comfort there's a lot of places that we might go to find ourselves uh, comfort and strength and to soothe our pain when we find ourselves in deep distress. We vent, we work, we gossip, we insult, we drink, we lust, we sleep, we do all kinds of things, go all kinds of places. but, But the place where real hope is found, the place where we must go, is the Lord. We must cast ourselves Upon him, and this is what we see with Hannah. She goes to the tabernacle, and she casts herself before the Lord, and she prays. She cries out, "O Lord of hosts!" This is the first time that we're introduced to this title for God, the Lord of hosts. Now, Lord, you'll notice in your Bibles is all caps. It signifies the that this is the covenant name of Yahweh, of, of the Lord of Yahweh. It's His name. And the significance of this name, I think, was so aptly and so simply put by one particular theologian, Michael Williams, speaking of this name, Yahweh, he just said, just call me dad, because I'm the one you can count on. That really is it, the covenant name of Yahweh, just call me dad, I'm the one that you can count on. But, but then there's this word added to it, hosts. host. And this is signifying not so much the tender care of Yahweh, but his sovereign greatness over everything. We're first introduced to this word in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, at the very end of creation. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the... Host of them. The Lord of hosts is the maker of heaven and earth, the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars, the one who reigns over the angels and the armies of man, the one who is sovereign over every trial and hardship. He is the Almighty God, and none compares to Him. And Hannah knew something about her God. She knew that he was the Lord of hosts, that he was her only comfort and help in the midst of her deep distress. And so she went to him and she needed him to see her in her pain and to strengthen and comfort her. And so she pours out her soul to him and and he, he was delighted to bless her because that's who he is. He's the Lord of Hosts. So this morning, what I want to do is really to point us to three truths about our God, the Lord of Hosts, from this passage. And these three realities really, I think, enable us to cast ourselves upon him in the midst of our deep pain. First of all, he hears. He acts, and he reigns. He hears, he acts, and he reigns. So first of all, the Lord of hosts, he hears. Now, uh, when she goes to the tabernacle and prays, there's Eli is there, the priest, and he sees Hannah praying. Now, at first, he assumes the wrong thing. He draws an incorrect conclusion because he doesn't have all the information. And he assumes that she is drunk. And Hannah... She quickly corrects that wrong conclusion and says that she has been pouring out her soul before the Lord, speaking out of her anxiety and her vexation. What's wonderful about this is it seems that Hannah comes before the Lord, and she is unashamed to bring all of herself, the fullness of who she is, to bring all of her pain and her laments to the Lord. And Eli responds to her. And it's important to understand Eli's role because he serves as a priest in a mediatorial role between God and the people. And so when he assures her, when he says in verse 17, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him, he is assuring her that the Lord has indeed met her there, that he has met her in her pain, that he saw her pain, and that he heard her. Her desperate cries, even the silent ones of her heart. And and this 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 idea, this this God hearing, I've seen this play out multiple times over the course of the life in my family, especially when our kids were younger. You know what this looks like. You hang out with friends. You get together. Uh, all the parents begin to huddle around. The kids disperse, and they go start playing wherever and doing whatever it is that they might be doing. And, and all the parents are, are really just secretly hoping because they know that blood is going to be drawn at some point, and they just hope that it's somebody else's kid and not their own. Um, we all do that. Well, uh, we'd be sitting there huddled up, and all of a sudden, uh, a mom jumps, right? Hannah jumps up, and she takes off, and she in the middle of a conversation, and you have no idea what's happening, and she gets there well before you even realize, I even realize what's going on. She heard her child crying or calling out for help, looking for help. A mother's ears are so attuned to the cries of her children that when they cry, she hears their cries. Now, I do realize that does say something about uh, my children's father. That's a sermon for another day. Um, But so it is with the Lord that his ears are so attuned to the cries of his children, his people, that he hears us in our prayers. And so we need not be ashamed to cast ourselves upon him in in lament. You see, Jesus is in the business of comforting the hurting, He said in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I mean, he understands what it means to to grieve and to lament. He is the one who wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept over the lost condition of Jerusalem. At the cross, he cried out and lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is capable of receiving you in all the fullness of your pain. He's the Lord, right? He already knows you in your fullness. He delights over you. He delights over you. He delights over you in your rejoicing and he delights over you in your lament. And lament, we need to understand, is not faithlessness, But rather, lament is the faithful commitment to hold on to God when everything around you is screaming to let Him go. Yesterday, I was at a funeral for Steve Hornberger, and the preacher, a man that we've gotten to know very well over the last 30 some years, said that it's easy to lose heart. That's true. It's easy to lose heart. But lament, it's not proof that we're losing heart. See, lament is the act of engaging the grief in our heart and and doing it in faith, knowing that the Lord hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And the proof that he hears is found in his action. The Lord of hosts, he he acts. After returning home, the text says that Yahweh remembered Hannah. He took her prayers to heart, if you will, and he acted. And she conceived, and she gave birth to her son, Samuel, now, Samuel is a combination of two Hebrew words, Shema, to hear, and El, God. God Almighty, the Lord of heaven and earth. He delighted to hear and embrace the cries of this weak and vulnerable and hurting woman. And he responded, he acted, he hears, and he acts. Remember the, uh, the couple from the roller coaster? I haven't actually finished telling you the entire story. Um, There I am, I'm standing there listening to this employee who really had the horrible job of explaining to riders why they couldn't ride. And I'm looking at the tears in her face, and, and then she says, well, to the man that she's with, she says, you still ride. I'll wait. Here she is in the midst of, of this pain, and and her heart's desire is for the man that she's with to bless him. You go and you enjoy. So here I am, I'm on this emotional roller coaster with this couple now, and, and I begin to worry. I begin to worry because I know guys. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm actually getting pretty angsty. Um, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid about how he's going to respond. And I'm thinking, okay, you hear her words, go ride, enjoy, without me. But I'm wondering, are you hearing her heart? Are you hearing the pain in her soul? And I'm wondering, what's this guy going to do? And then he says, no, I just want to be with you. Like, I just want to pick him up and carry him around like the champion that he was. I mean, he heard her, and he acted in the most beautiful way. Way And as she experienced this pain and vulnerability, what she needed was this champion who was going to respond in the most beautiful way, and it's exactly what she got. He saw her, he heard her, and it was his delight to act in order to bless her. He took this horrible, awful moment, and he turned it upside down in the most beautiful way. And that's exactly what our Lord does. He acts, and he turns things upside down in a beautiful, beautiful way. And we see this in the life of Hannah. He turns her world upside down by giving her the cry of her heart. And she tells us that this is the way of Yahweh in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 4, she writes, the bows of the mighty are broken. It's turned upside down. The feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor." turns things upside down. If God were the Mandalorian, what would he say? He would say, this is the way. He empowers the weak to shame the strong. He feeds the hungry. He blesses the barren. He exalts the lowly. He enriches the poor. He comforts the grieving. He calls the ordinary. This is the way. Of the Lord of hosts, he turns things upside down in the most beautiful way. And the supreme act of God, the supreme turning of things upside down is found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God Almighty becomes man. The light shines in the darkness. The righteous one takes on the wrath of God for the sins of sinners. The dead is raised, the sinner is forgiven, the guilty is set free, enemies made friends, and outcasts made children of the living God. This is the way of Yahweh. He acts, and so we cast ourselves upon He hears, he acts, the Lord of hosts he reigns. A number of years later, Hannah prayed these words in chapter 2. And at the end of the prayer, she says something that's interesting. She says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, what's interesting is this, her reference to the king and the anointed one. In these days, Israel was still being ruled under the judges. It was not yet a monarchy. There was no king in Israel yet. And the anointed is the word that we get. Well, is the word Messiah? Uh, It's the Greek, the Christ. Right? Ultimately, this is prophetic. And it ultimately points us to Jesus, the King of all kings. He is the one who died who was raised and lifted up and now rules and reigns. He is the Lord of hosts, the great king who reigns. And when we look at the beginning of verse one, we see that his reign encompasses all of Hannah. She says that that, that he reigns over her heart, her inner world. She says, my heart exults in the Lord. He reigns over her weakness. She says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. The horn of an animal is a place of its power and strength. The Lord reigned over her weakness, and he became her strength. He reigns over her enemies. She says, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No longer does her rival hold power over her and cause her such pain because her salvation is in the Lord and her mouth rejoices in his salvation and his salvation makes a mockery of her enemies. And then in verse two, We see that the Lord of hosts not only reigns over Hannah, but he reigns over all. Nothing compares to him. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord is holy. And the idea here of God's holiness is somewhat explained by this phrase, there is none beside you. God is holy. He's entirely set Apart, He's purely sacred. He's unsearchably other than anything in all of creation. There is nothing that compares to him. He reigns over all, for he is the Holy One, the Lord of hosts. Turn, if you would, and grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. In this section of scripture, we get a glimpse, a sneak peek, if you will, into the very throne room of God. The apostle John in Revelation gets a number of of visions. He gets visions about many things. In chapter four, uh, he's standing before this great door that's open, and he hears this voice that says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And then he finds himself before this great throne in glory. So, Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne were, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of And John sees this beautiful throne. And sitting on it is this wondrous, majestic king, Jesus himself. And he doesn't try to describe this king because his majesty and his splendor are just too great, too wonderful for him to try to put into words. Perhaps John knew that any attempt to describe this would fall way short of what this king deserved. And so he only says that the appearance was that of jasper, carnelian, these, these bright and beautiful stones. He's using beautiful colors in order to try to illuminate and help us understand something of the majesty and the beauty of the glory of this king. And all around this throne, he uses more colors, the colors of a rainbow and the deep, beautiful green, this dazzling green of an emerald. It was a sight that was, that, that was meant to To show us a bit of the beauty of this glory, that if we would see it, it would take our breath away. So grand was it that it, that, that it it would inspire awe and wonder. Our eyes, perhaps, when we see it, will dance days upon days, hours upon hours for all of eternity across this wonderful sight. And around this throne were these other thrones, 24 thrones. And on these thrones were these men, these elders, as John says, and they're clothed in in pure white and they're crowned with golden crowns. They represent the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel representing the old covenant people of God and the 12 apostles representing the church and the new covenant people of God. The point is that all of God's people, all of us surround this throne of the king and we are dressed in pure white. We have been washed by the blood of Christ. We are without sin and without stain, made pure by the cross of our Lord. And we're crowned with this crown of glory. See, not only do we belong to this king, but we will rule with him. And then from this throne, John sees this terrifying power and might. He sees this flashing of of lightning, the rumblings of thunder. This beautiful, wondrous king is no pushover. His force is beyond compare. His authority is without limitation. His strength flashes and rumbles like a great and terrible storm. And before the throne are these torches of fire and all around a sea of crystal glass. Elegant. Majestic, noble. And all around this great king are these creatures, these angels, who day and night are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. He's God, the Lord, the King, the Ruler, the Creator of all things. He's almighty and all-powerful. He is supreme. He's first and he's greatest he is the Lord. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He has no beginning or end. He always has been God. He always is God. And he always will be God. And they are calling out, holy, 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 because they are calling to us. They're calling for our attention so that we would come before this king and that we would wonder at his greatness, that we would marvel at his beauty, that we would tremble before his power, and that we would cast ourselves just like they are doing, that we would cast ourselves before him, for he reigns holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How can there be any other way for us who come into the blessed presence of this, thing, this king than to come casting ourselves before him? For he's the king, he's the Lord of hosts. Holy, 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 there is none besides him. And this casting of ourselves before him is so beautifully illustrated for us in the life of Hannah. Remember, in Hannah's lament, she made a vow. She told the Lord that if she would give her a son, that she would give him back. She would dedicate him and devote him to the Lord to serve him all the days of his life. And Hannah, she kept that vow. She nursed and cared for her son. In the ancient Near East, a mother would nurse her child for up to three years. And think about this for a moment. His mother, with all of her joy over this child, nursed Samuel for two to three years, loving him, caring for him, rejoicing over him like every loving mother does over her child. You can just imagine how she adored every fat roll. How she adored every odd expression, every freckle and birthmark, every, every strange giggle and sound and every spit bubble that came on his lips. And then, when he was weaned, he's a toddler. She takes him to the tabernacle and she gives him to Eli the priest so that he would serve the Lord all the days of his life she cast her most precious gift, her miraculous child before the Lord. And I think she did it with great joy. Why? Because she knew that there was no better place for her son than to live in service to Yahweh. No better place for him because he is the Lord of hosts. We're illustrated to this in Revelation chapter 4 as well. Anytime these angels around the throne began to exalt the Lord, these 24 elders, the people of God, they would leave their thrones, they would rise up, and they would come, and they would fall down at the feet of Jesus, and they would take these golden crowns, and they would cast them before the feet of this king, and they would cry out, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive Glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Imagine this. Let's imagine this. Imagine what it'll be like to stand in the presence of Jesus in glory, having lived and toiled and struggled through all the days of your life, through all the burdens and the troubles and the sins and the pains and the fears and the frustrations and all the sickness and death and all that is wrong with the world, and then dying and standing before Jesus himself, having your tears dried and eliminated forever, having your burdens finally and fully lifted away, having your sins completely removed from you to never haunt you again, having your pain and frustrations unfastened from your heart and the peace of God implanted there instead, having your sorrow gone and joy forever. And then having this king, this your savior, your Lord, your God, your friend, your brother, your savior, your Jesus—look at you, full of joy, love, and acceptance—and saying to you, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little; I will give, you, set you over much." Enter into the joy of your master, and then he takes this golden, glorious crown and he sets it upon your head, symbolizing not only your acceptance but your place in his kingdom. And for that, in that moment, you will know fully what you've always longed for. You will know what it is to know joy. You will know peace and you will know truth and you will know wisdom. You will know love and purity and righteousness. You will know justice and beauty. You will know honor, approval, and friendship because you will know Jesus and you will know him not in part by faith, but you will know him in full and you will know him by sight. And then then you will fall. You will fall at his feet and you will take this glorious crown that symbolizes that you've received all that you've ever wanted and you will lay it down at his feet because he is worthy of worship He's the king and he reigns. He reigns over your heart and you will exult in him. He reigns over your enemies because he's conquered at the cross of Jesus Christ and he's overcome the grave and you will have eternal life for all of eternity. That is the most glorious moment that I can imagine for us. And that is what we'll do. That is your future. It's why we're here today. It's why we sing. (sighs) Imagine that. Imagine that and let that be what inspires you as you walk out of here today in the way that you live. Like Hannah with Samuel, like the 24 elders with their crowns, the response to this king, to the Lord of hosts, the one who hears us in our deep, deep pain, the one who acted... And and to redeem us from sin and death, the one who reigns over our very lives, the right response is to cast ourselves before him. Even now, we live our lives for him. We receive all that he gives to us, and we give it back to him with great joy. And so we take our dreams, our vision of life, and we let Him define it. We take our limits and our weaknesses, what is very ordinary about us, and we hand them over in service to Him. We take our callings and our vocations and we give them to Him. We allow Him to shape them and for His ways and His purposes to be what guides us in them. We cast our spouses, our children, Those that we love, we cast them before him. And we're careful. We're careful not to make an idol out of the comfortable life that we often seek in America. And instead, we lead and we urge them on. We urge one another on toward the very mission and calling of God. Even even when it's hard, and wildly uncomfortable. We cast our church, we cast our offices, we cast our membership before the Lord. We are the bride of this great king. And so we live not for ourselves, but always for the sake of the church, the bride of Christ, that we might give to her What we often so desire for ourselves. We give. We give by casting our time, we cast our opportunities, we cast our hospitality, we cast our gifts, we cast our money, we cast our energy all in service to the Lord. We receive. And then take what is most precious to us, our our child, our our golden crown, our very lives, and we, we give it back to him. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of hosts. Friends, cast yourself before him. Let me pray. Father, you are the Lord of hosts. <laughs> what a remarkable gift it is to stand under your rule and your reign, both as your servants and also as your children. We're thankful for the work that you did in the life of Hannah, and that you made this known, that we might come before you and marvel at the wonderful things that you've done. That you hear us in our pain. That you you've so acted to turn the world upside down. The gospel of Jesus, and that you reign. You reign over our hearts. Would you cause by your Holy Spirit? us to exult in you, for us to find you as our strength in the midst of our weaknesses and, and for us to rejoice in your salvation. And we look forward to the day in which we will see you face to face, that we will fall at your feet, and we will worship. holy, holy. Holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We love you. We pray this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus, our great King, the Lord of hosts. Amen.